Welcome to the NCMI podcast. Today we'll be looking at the topic of transition. Steve and Jackie Wimble transitioned into the leadership role of City Hill Church in KZN South Africa some years ago as Peter and Karen Rasmussen handed the reins over to them. How did the transition go? What made it work so well? What were the lessons learned? On today's podcast, Steve answers those questions. We hope you enjoy this. Please remember to subscribe if you haven't and check out ncmi.net for more resources. Um, I've been asked to tell a little bit of our story of transition and we've, I'm, I'm going back a bit here. Born in a Christian family, my folks got radically saved just, off, just before they got married. Five kids, uh, three of us work for a local church and the fourth one was a pastor, he's in business now. And my sister's involved in another church, leads worship in a church in York. And so I'm very grateful for the legacy that my folks have left. Um, We lived in Maritzburg from my age 14 to 34. We're part of One Life Church. It used to be called NCF with Ray Oliver leading it. When I left school, I did a one-year gap year as an intern in the youth ministry. And during that year, they asked me to lead the youth, which was a change of plan for me. I'd wanted to study elsewhere. But stayed on in Maritzburg, met uh, Jax, who came into the youth as a grade nine schoolgirl. After she left school, we started dating, got married, had two gorgeous boys, and I got radically sick. I'll tell more of that story tonight, because there's a major story linked to my health. Up until that point, when I got sick, age 26, I had a dream on my heart that I felt was God-given to lead a local church, to plant, to do something somewhere in the church leadership space, front leading, or team captaining, if I could put it like that. Uh, The young version of me was probably a little bit like Joseph, had some arrogances in there that God had to knock out, and uh, I had a six-year journey of such bad health, so consistently, ongoingly bad, that I'd been for prayer for healing over and over again, I just, every dream I had of leadership evaporated. I was still on staff, but unable to do too much. I was at my best, probably 70% of my previous full capacity. We were on holiday after about five years of this terrible health that I had, and I felt God nudge me in my heart and say, I'm going to move you out of this local church. I'm going to open a new door for you. The old me, or the younger me, would have said, where, when, how, what, and let's go. The new me was like Moses in the wilderness, and I said, God, unless you heal me, I don't think I can do anything more. And I felt God say to me, that's not faith. I'll take care of things if you say yes. It was such a reluctant whisper of yes, because I was so sick. I was so nervous to even tell Jax, and we didn't tell anybody else for six months about this. I was just waiting for God to open the door. I was very nervous. We ended up speaking to a number of team guys and through a series of quite miraculous interventions and conversations, we chatted with Peter and Karen Rasmussen who were leading City Hill Church in Hillcrest, January of 2012. So nearly uh, just over 10 years ago. And he said, I feel like God has got for you to come and take over from Karen and myself. Now, knowing how sick I was, he also knew a little bit of how sick I was. 
And knowing the kind of church City Hill was, this was, the conversation left me in absolute shock. For those who've never visited the church that Pete built, I'd sent through a picture just to give you a little bit of a, an, a view. That building with the green roof was their major building project some years before. Had this piece of land, had aimed to build a 2,000-seater, and then felt God challenge him to build a 4,000-seater building. It's an amazing auditorium. And when we were having that conversation in January 2012, the cranes were up busy building our office block, which you can see on the right-hand side, and a kids' facility on the left-hand side. There were 8,000 square meters of floor area in that building. And sick, reluctant me coming in here, just it, it actually it was, there was trauma and shock at a very high level. If I backtrack a little bit, in the journey after God said to me, it's time to move, I went through a process. I was, through all of our years in church paid ministry, also being on the NCMI team, wherever we'd gone, we'd done our best, Jack and I, to have conversations of like, God, what would you have us do? What else would you have us do? We visit Germany. Should we plant a church in Germany? My mom was German. It would be cool to learn the language. Go and visit Zambia, imagine living here in Zambia. Every place we went, God, we're willing to go. Wherever you send us, we want to go. I mean, I'd, I'd weep on the carpet some prayer times just saying, God, my whole life is yours. Uh, this isn't for me, it's for you. And then it felt like God was saying, well, you go here. In other words, we felt a call to transition rather than to plant. I was totally open to do either, but we felt God guide us into transition. My brother planted at a similar time a site of One Life, but it was more like a church plant than a site plant in Durban. And so we often compared notes about the challenges because planting had one kind of challenge. Transition has got a different kind of challenge and we just got to follow what God guides us to do. So I'd like to share just some five key lessons. There were were probably hundreds that I've learned, but these are five key ones for, for our time here before we go into questions and answers as I tell some of the story. The first one is that communication was key. And when I say communication, ongoing over and over and over, revisiting, etc. No two transitions are the same. So we try to get as much data and stories of other people's transition that was helpful for ours, but no one else's transition was identical. Uh, one of the reasons they're not identical is that different personalities involved. One of my major uh, things that I had to figure out was that Peter, for those who know Peter Rasmussen, a very, very strong, gifted leader with a unique skill set. We'd been on Grant's team for, uh, I'd been on his team ever since he'd started leading, 12 years uh, at that time, very strong leader with a very unique and different skill set to Peter's. And there was Kippy. I knew I wasn't Grant and I knew I wasn't Peter. And I had major doubts as to whether we could actually lead this church. In some ways, after two years, I realized my inside prayer had been, God, may we not be the couple to crash the plane into the side of a mountain. Please let there still be people after two years. That was our our major prayer from that artist. Deep down, we were unsure. City Hill at that time had 12 to 15 sites. There were some coming on board. Peter had started a multi-site expression of church. Part of our communication, a lot of it had to do with what would the future of City Hill look like, 
and both of us were on the same page that the churches would go autonomous. Only one would stay connected to us. There was no disagreement about that. I thought that we had more than enough to try and figure out leading one site. We were new there, hadn't grown up in that church, so we were building relationships from scratch. Those sites over a period of time all went autonomous. The other major discussion around transition, to my mind, should include what do the outgoing leaders' roles look like? For some, that's pretty clear-cut. They're moving somewhere else, planting a new church. In that case, the discussion around how does this church support what they're doing? In our case, it was a little more nuanced. Peter and Karen were staying in the same city and wanted to work apostolically with those sites that were now local churches and work apostolically into other cities. There was a financial uh, discussion that we wanted to have around that. We wanted to support and be part of that, but what it looked like. I was uncertain and he was, actually Pete was very certain what he wanted. He, he up front stated quite, um, he had in his mind clear the picture he wanted, but I realized that if, if I said yes to everything with no process, then that's what you live with. And so I, I guess I was newer, not, not as certain of my leadership style and role. And so I just asked for a little bit of time and said, before we finalize these things, could we just have a few more discussions? Also, um, an outgoing leader has got the years of experience of leading behind them, whereas an incoming leader, in our case, we'd never led a team before. Knew some of my skill set, but we'd never led a team. So weren't, now 10 years later, I look at, I realize I've grown in confidence on some calls, but back then I was, I was uncertain. And so we would have some, Peter and I appreciated his also openness to having some tough conversations. There were two or three that were really key kind of, I want to say that they were conversations that were difference of opinion, but not disrespectful. So Peter saying, I think we should do it this way. Me saying, I, I don't think that's going to work for me. Could we discuss it a little more? Two or three major conversations like that. I think the, the Bible principle of honor is such an important one. It's, it's huge. Dudley often spoke about the idea that honor your parents that may go well with you is not just a biological principle, but also in church, in church space. And so we've done our very best to honor Peter and Corin. However, if honor is simply the method we use not to talk, then you can end up with long-term frustration. I've spoken to other pastors, it's like this long-term grinding frustration because they, they just push some things under the carpet under the word honor, but actually it need a little more honesty to figure out what things are gonna look like. We had, um, maybe I could throw this in now uh, as a second learning point for us is that external voices were very helpful before, during, and after transition. So before the official handover, during that process and afterwards. And I had a few friendships of NCMI team guys before we moved to City Hill. And I was referencing some of those guys. Peter had a different, slightly different network of relationships and he referenced those guys. And one of the things which I thought he did really well is again, because there were some complexities, multi-site, et cetera, et cetera, he got two or three of his key team that I had a good connection with as well. And then he would, we went away for a night 
two days and one night with that group of guys saying we, we want to hammer out what transition looks like. And he got some of his outside voices in. And we sat, just the, the guys that came and gave us some hours of their time to talk about their transitions, to just not tell us what to do, but be part of the process. In one of those discussions, one of the guys that came and sat down with us through some of the pain he had had handing over a church, he, he advised us on this. He said, document every final decision you make. Now, that sounded a bit weird to me. You know, we, we covenantal. You know, it's, uh, we've taught, but it was such great advice because in the documenting of it, everything that was unclear, we were able to put down in black and white. Also, at the time, everybody knows everybody, but as an eldership team changes, as the timeline goes on from the original transition down the line, new elders join the team, are saying, well, why do we do that? How come this church invests so much money into, in this case, into Peter and Karen? So, well, that was part of our original, what we felt God guide us in the transition. It's not just, this isn't money just that we, um, how can I say, it's not an expense item. We're investing apostolically here. We committed to it. Some, but there, yeah, there was a whole, there were a few things, made a list about that long and was really, really helpful all the way along. So between our eldership team, ourselves and Peter and Corin, at the end, by the time the official date of handover took place, there was very little miscommunication. There have been lots of tough conversations, but the end result, these, these documented lines were really, really helpful for us. Um, the, the other thing about, these, about external voices is that every one of us have a, have a unique experience and therefore a unique perspective. And so by having multiple voices, you get the benefit of multiple perspectives. For example, if I'm sitting down now talking to another team about transition, all I've got to bring is my experience, our experience. But there's somebody else who comes with slightly different. So I think that's why it's helpful to have a couple of different voices um, guiding, advising, being part of the situation. It also gives you, uh, so I'm going a bit wider here, it gives you a go-to point if things go badly afterwards. This wasn't the case with Peter and, uh, Peter and Corin and, and ourselves in terms of direct handover, but I've been involved in a few other situations where in the honeymoon phase of transition, it was all backslapping and high-fiving. A year down the line, some major changes are made to what was originally decided. The outgoing guy is doing some unhelpful things or the incoming couple are doing some unhelpful things. Because there's voices that were involved then, you're getting outside perspective here, which can just help smooth the waters. So I actually can't overstate this point. It was really, really um, important. The third major learning that we had was that learning a new city and a new church takes time. Learning a new city and a new church takes time. I had been in our previous church for 21 years. Jack's just a little bit less. But in that church, I knew people's histories. I'd grown up with kids of some of the people in our church. That had pluses and minuses. Some of them still viewed me as a kid. But I'd done the weddings of a whole lot of people. I just, they were our family and our community. Moving into a new space, my head was popping with ideas and stress and trauma and, oh, what are we gonna do? And so one of the things that 
we had to often talk about is it's okay to take a little bit of time just to get to know the church, the new city, new area, et cetera, et cetera. Again, this would apply um, mostly to transitions where somebody moves. At City Hill, I wasn't a son in the house in that sense. I was adopted in onto the leadership team. And with any transition, I believe it's a good mindset to have for the person coming through, the, the new guy coming, a new couple, is that God had a reason for planting that church in the first place. Revelation 1, the picture of the lampstand. God put a lampstand, in our case, in Hillcrest, now nearly 40 years ago. When we moved there, it had two lead couples before us. They happened to be related. They were family. For 30 years, it had had a, a particular trajectory and direction. And one of the pressures an incoming person can feel, or people, is, man, I've got to bring about major changes here. And chances are there's some changes that each person will bring, but I think there's, there's another aspect to it is that God was on a journey with this church before we got there. And so what I did the best, and some of my illness had actually slowed me down as well, which was a good thing, but I was, I'd had a miraculous healing. But what, I, what we did is I took the deacon list, which at that time was about 100 people on that deacon team. I, didn't, I read through the list of names. I knew, I think, maybe four people on the list when we arrived. And I scheduled a coffee with every single couple, a meal or me having a coffee one-on-one -on -one with the, uh, the husband, sometimes with a couple. And I felt guided to ask this question. I mean, obviously getting to know them, their family, how long you've been at City Hill, how long in Hillcrest. I was so blessed with the stories. There were so many of people on the leadership team who'd been there for two decades, two and a half, some of them nearly three decades. And the question I felt guided to ask was this, what for you is the X factor of our local church? The other question I thought of asking is, what would you change if you were in my position? But I shelved that one, which was probably a good idea. Because then you just hear everybody's uh, gripes. So I'm moving around a lot. You're tracking on the camera there. What is the X factor on this church? And what was interesting is that so many people, so another way of wording that is, why are you in this church? Why are you and your family so committed here? What's the X factor? That was just my phrase of saying it. And as I heard the feedback, there were two or three major themes that came through. And I realized after listening to a couple of dozen conversations like this, I've actually just managed to extract by accident some of the key DNA of what makes City Hill, City Hill. I would be a fool to get up and say, okay, guys, we're not that kind of church, we're this kind of church. God's been doing this for 30 years on some of those things I needed to upskill and get a little bit more strength and go forward, but I had the opportunity to, because now this, I, this is what God's been doing in this church. The other interesting thing that's, that happens is when a new guy comes in, Anybody that had one or two problems with the outgoing person, now got a new ear to talk to. So Peter, after 17, over 17 years of leading, there were some people with a vision and a direction and a thing that over 17 years, they just knew Peter wasn't listening to that anymore. That, that wasn't where he was going. But now a new couple come in and we're trying our best to, and like, ah, oh, but you know, Peter never did it like that. Oh, you guys are so amazing. You do it a little bit differently. 
Now we've been leading 10 years. Guess what? There's a whole lot of people in the church who I know there's some things, I'm just, we're not going in that direction. And if you were to talk to them and spend some time, they'd say, ah, Steve and Jackie, they're just not like that, but you. So whoever we hand over to, their bad guy's gonna be us for all the stuff we didn't do. In fact, this was, this, on the opposite side, there's also some strengths we didn't have that Peter and Corin did. This created one or two really painful moments. This was probably within our second or third year in, in one of our, two of our elders' meetings. So some teams in a transition get invited the whole team to step down. We didn't feel like that would be the right fit for us in this transition. So we inherited an existing team of really great guys, but it takes time to find each other on a team, especially if the team leader is changing. And we had an incident happen in one of the church services where somebody brought a prophetic word and it, it was a little bit, went a bit that way. And we were discussing it now in the elders meeting. And one of, the, one of Peter's elders who had been on the team was on staff, got very worked up. And he said, if Peter was still leading this team, that would never have happened. He was probably right. I was so mad and upset, not visibly at that time, I don't think, but I remember driving home thinking, if you want Peter back so much, I will resign tomorrow. I didn't come here to be compared to Peter. And he did it a second time. And then I sat down and I said, please don't ever compare me to Peter. I know that there's some things he does better. If you want to be on his team, well, I said a little more gently and loving than that. And he found a way to apologize and find grace. But it's exactly that. So it takes time. People are patting you on the back. You can feel, uh, what's the word? Um, you can feel happy about yourself, but it's temporary. Because there'll be other critics who'll find a way of, who don't like the style that you bring. And so this takes time. The other, the, uh, speaking about learning a new city and a new church, uh, one life had a particular demographic Socioeconomic, color, age. When we arrived at City Hill, on all three of those, there was a major difference, a different kind of church. To us, it was, it was very, like, I drove home, said to Jax, gee, City Hill is so different to One Life in these three key areas. It was so different, I actually, I went and got, we were there in 2012, I went and got the 2011 census results, and I studied the statistics for Durban. We're in a new city now. And in our city, I found the percentage demographic breakdown by culture was as follows and by age for the whole city. And then I realized that our catchment area where our church was based was the inverse of the rest of our city. One small example, and I'm comparing to Maritzburg. In Peter Maritzburg, the church I'd been in for 21 years was very close to a university. Loads of students, loads of young people, and loads of free labor as a result because students are always kicking around with time. Always happy to get involved. In Hillcrest, our new area, the missing age group between 18 and 75 was 18 to 25 year olds. There were more 70 to 75 year olds than 18 to 25 year olds because there's no university close by. So now we, in my mind, it's like such and such is happening and just get the young guys involved. Previous church mindset. Hillcrest, the much smaller demographic there. 
But the, where the curve in the, in the statistics was, was between 35 and 45, that was the highest number of people. People, in other words, who had a stable income, had a job, highly entrepreneurial area, lots of business people, not so much corporate, but starting out small, medium, some bigger businesses. So very much a culture, a culture in our area that says, lead me, follow me, or get out of the way. That's by nature, that's what you need to be an entrepreneur. Those entrepreneurs all have children. And so I realized after looking at all of this that probably the most important evangelism tool for our local church was City Hill Kids, our children's ministry. This was an idea that I threw, threw around a whole lot and maybe if I could, I'll move the story down into my fourth point. Each leader, this was my fourth learning out of five, each leader has their own challenges and victories. Each leader has their own challenges and victories. Just before I tell that kid story, one of the things I tried to do a whole lot of in our first year there was find out from as many long-standing pillars in the church, especially Peter and Karen, what is the story of God's grace of City Hill? And I heard stories from the past 30 years, back when we met in the mushroom farm, back when we did this City Hill's not a, not a sentimental church. We don't even know what date we started on. We don't celebrate birthdays. We're not, but it was trying to find the, the victories that sat in our story. I say our, because it wasn't mine. We weren't there, but it was the church's story. We wanted to build forward. And so we hear all these, heard all these victories. Some of them left me feeling like, yo, God's done so much in this church. Where do we even begin? Oh, my goodness. It felt like I was this, um, leadership-wise, this skinny little guy stepping into a gym that everybody had been pumping these big weights of faith. I don't know how else to put it. Like, just... And there was also stories of pain and difficulty and hardship. And so we heard some of those with great soberness. Like, well, God, thank you that Peter and Karen had that. It would be awesome if we didn't need to have that same pain. But every leadership journey is about experiencing our own victories and our own challenges while building on that foundation. Speaking of, of joy and a little bit of a faith journey, in our first year of leading, so the official handover happened in 2013. During that next year, I was thinking about this thing of kids, 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 because that's our major demographic, our major area. If, if we didn't have a youth ministry or young adults, 18 to 25, not as bad as kids not working well. We just had this brand new kids building built. We were furnishing it at the time, but it, there was no external play area. And in, in the tra transition year, the finances were really good that year. There was a surplus that was generated, healthy amount sitting in the bank account, which was awesome. I'm like, hey, God's grace, blessings on us, man. I believe that every single day, but it, it, you know, it felt good to have that linked to some money as well. And I, I had a conversation with one of our deacons, who's, one of his great gifts was faith, and we're talking around this. As I left, I drove out of the parking lot of that coffee shop at a robot. I could take you to the exact spot. It felt like this download from heaven, a, a nudge, take that money and build jungle gyms. Thought, have I heard right? But it was like the top of my head unscrewed, opened up, and faith 
just, I felt this was a direction for us. Amidst all this uncertainty, the newness, it was, and we went with the elders throughout this idea, this vision, and we took that money and went and spent and built these beautiful jungle gyms. They were amazing, amazing, amazing. Still, I still think they're quite amazing. And what's, what's been so cool, we speak about victories here, what's been so cool is often at our intro tees for new members, how many people say, we didn't want to come to this church originally, we felt it was too big for us, but our kids love it here, so we came back. Oh, and I just think I'm so glad as a team we went with that nudge up front and built these jungle gyms. Again, on the pain side, the different challenges, and I'm speaking our story of transition, and for somebody else, jungle gyms might seem like an absolute waste of money. We're trying to listen to God for our thing. In the same vein of wanting to operate in faith, I felt like we needed a couple of new guys, new blood, etc. And I, I made a decision which turned out to be one of the most painful ones in our journey. There was a guy from another church who was moving into the area and I brought him into kind of a volunteer space on our staff and just had so much faith that this guy was gonna help us move things forward that I, I asked our eldership team if we could, if they would be okay with him just sitting in on elders meetings. It was way too premature. At the time, it felt like a good idea, and I'd had a long-standing relationship with that guy, but I hadn't seen his chemistry with the team, and as it turned out, it went very, very, very badly. He was also leading music, and, and we were new. I didn't have a bridge of leadership, and I didn't have a, we didn't have a lot of successes as a team behind us. So when you don't have many coins in the pocket, one decision like that feels like the team felt like Steve is gonna destroy us. That was how some guys felt. Now, on the team of guys at the time, I think there were seven, uh, eight of us all together. So the most peace-loving guy, he was pretty chilled, but there were three guys on the team who got so frustrated at the situation as it unfolded that they outworked it in one of the worst ways possible. This guy was leading worship, and for some reason that week, I don't know what had happened, but these three guys, three elders got together and started talking before a church service and decided that it was incorrect for him to be leading worship during that service, that the devil was going to be unleashed on our church somehow. So, so I arrived, and I'm ready to preach. We have an elders, had an elder's coffee beforehand, and it was just those three guys and me, and the three of them teamed up. <laughs> they didn't do this physically, but this is what it felt like. It felt like they had me against the wall with knives out, telling me, they said, you need to go and get that guy off the stage from leading worship today. They were angry with me and upset, but viewed themselves as trying to protect the church. I said, guys, please, if, it, if we need to sort things out, please can we talk about this tomorrow? For some reason, they were so adamant that day, they insisted. I, now I'm starting to get really uptight. I'm like, guys, out of all the days in the week, I'm about to go and preach. Please don't have this conversation with me now. They insisted more. I insisted even more. He, that guy led worship. I preached with my three friends sitting here on the front row. I was so, I had so many bad emotions, man. I was livid and discouraged. And just, I was broken. I'm like, this is half of our eldership team. It felt like a mutiny. 
You know, when something's going bad and you're feeling a bit insecure, it blows up to, uh, the one, the unsanctified part of my brain wanted revenge. The part of me that loves life wanted to escape. I just wanted out. And then the middle part of me, which knew I couldn't get out because God hadn't told me to, I was confused. Where do I go from here? And I think, oh, that guy fired his whole eldership team. Yeah, that, uh, no, what will I do then? I don't, uh, went down and got some counsel, but I was praying. I was like weeping before God, saying, I don't know what to do. This, this was a, in, our, uh, in our second year of leading. And I just felt God give me one idea is get that peace-loving elder who's one of the older elders on our team. Get him to chair a meeting. Let the eldership team decide on what happens with that guy and go with their decision on this one. Rebuild your bridge and keep leading. But in that meeting, I felt God guide me, say nothing. It's the only elders meeting I've been at where I said nothing. And I felt God take me to that story of Moses. Remember Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses of his wife and says Moses fell face down on the ground and then God's hand works in the situation but Moses is he's not fighting for himself I knew there was too much anger and bitterness in my soul to say anything really uh, I was in a bad way so we I met with the three guys they knew what had happened I met with that the fourth guy I asked him to chair this meeting and while I'm sharing with him, I'm weeping. I'm like telling him the story of what happened and he's, he's crying on my behalf and he's like a mercy-hearted guy. But, and then I was speaking to the other three guys, just giving them a heads up. This is, we start this meeting and I say, guys, whatever you decide, I'm gonna go with. This is what I feel God's told me is the next step, but I'm really, I'm not feeling good. So I'm gonna keep quiet. And this meeting goes on and it's basically three guys on our team arguing with the other three guys backwards and forwards, a very strong team, very robust, which is part of the strength of our church. And at the end, they reach a decision that was a little different from what I would have liked, but I went with it and it worked out well. But here's the amazing thing, in that meeting, I'd just gone with this nudge. The other three guys who weren't part of that Sunday thing, one of them speaks up and he says, points to the other three across the table. He says, guys, as elders on a team, what you did to Steve is completely unacceptable. You owe him an apology. And one by one, these guys, which was very difficult for them to do. Now, I haven't asked for it. The rest of the, they turn and say, we're sorry for how we did what we did. Now is a rebuilding phase. It probably took another year just of me being a lot more cautious, a lot more sensible. And if I could be honest, I was self-pitiful. So for two weeks after that meeting, I was feeling so vulnerable. I felt like every meeting I was going into, I was, you know, who's gonna take me out this time? And I, in the evenings I'd get home and I was just under high stress, high adrenaline, and I'd be thinking, man, it would be so much easier to do something else. God, I'm still happy to lead a church, but could it be somewhere else? And I was thinking these escapist type thoughts of going elsewhere. And one evening, It was like God had been silent for two weeks and one evening I just felt him talk to me but with a strong, strong, strong voice saying the last word I gave you was to come here and lead. If everybody 
in this church leaves and you're the last guy standing and you're preaching in an empty building, that's what I told you to do. You keep doing it. Stop moaning. Stop complaining. Very seldom had a rebuke that I could feel in my soul from the Father like that. And we've had some tough times since. I think that was probably my most difficult, personally. It's to go back to that with the last thing God told me to do. If the Jackson, we're the last people standing. Da, da, da. And God's been kind to us. There have been other victories as well and other pain. Some of, the, some of Peter's team that felt like they could have been the couple to take over the leadership. There were three altogether. There was very high awkwardness in our relationship. We didn't realize when we arrived the vulnerable space they were in. And so that took some figuring out. That was quite painful for us. One of the wives did not say a single word to Jackie. Wouldn't greet her. Jack would greet her. She would just turn and walk away. On an eldership team. It was like, we didn't even know where to put that until we figured out some of the pain um, that, that they'd had. We also, we're speaking about the, the ups and downs. We'd had this great year. The money had gone into these um, jungle gyms. Then our second full year of leading passed. And at the end of that second year, there were just a couple of really unusual bumps on the income side. Nine months out of those 12, the income was below what had been anticipated. And because of City Hill's long history, we had a pretty good idea of what would, our finance team had a good idea of what should come in. So we below income throughout that whole year. And then the October, there's a 30% drop. November, December flat, January, another 30% drop. And I did a commerce degree, so accounting was one of my majors. And you look at trends, and at the end of that January, I'm seeing the trends like this. And again, a whole big soul-searching exercise. God, where, you gave us a word that finances wouldn't be our major struggle. There'd literally been a word like that. It was a very a great word to take on until now. There was a little bit, and oh, is there an Aiken on our team? Maybe that's our issue. Maybe we're not. And I just felt, again, the Father gave us some keys. Keep giving, keep teaching, keep growing, keep, keep doing the right things. Put the right building blocks in place. And supernaturally, the finances picked up again and were able to move forward. It's never had another drop like that, uh, amazingly. Even through COVID, it was only a little bit down, not these, these major dips again. Speak, just sharing one, there's so many stories to tell over 10 years, but one of our recent ones of a joy, sharing victories, we're sharing challenges and victories, is in 2018, our NGO that does a lot of upliftment work in the communities around us, I mean, it was just, it was like they were on steroids. It was just growing and growing. And we started at one little container behind our church building. And that ended up in four containers. So then one day the lady who's heading it up says, I need more containers. And I had this vision of like a informal settlement happening out the back with all these containers. And I looked at this open space behind our building and thought, why don't we just build something in here in this high volume, because we're quite close to our neighbor. And our architect came and drew up these pictures and it was a big warehouse of 350 square meters and then a second story of another 350 squares and then our women's toilets were a little bit short when we have big conferences so we thought, well, let's add on some more ladies' toilets, another 16 to be exact and while we add it, we might as well extend the offices for future growth, etc. So this whole plan is architecturally and engineering quite challenging but they draw it up and cost it out and the build cost, excluding professional fees, 10 million rand. This is 2019, it was our best year financially so far, it was 2019. 
But in that year, I get this number. Whew, and there was a lot more than I was expecting to, it to come out to, based on the original idea. So every afternoon, I'm walking, talking with the Father, and a lot of it's about this building project. God, is this a good idea? Yo, you don't want to get stuck and have, only get halfway and have to borrow money. And so I think, I, let me chat to Peter, because he built the original building. I mean, out of all the guys with big building project faith, he's at the top of my list. So I show him all the plans. And at the end, he says, are you sure you want to do all three things, toilets, warehouse, and offices at once? It's just the warehouses that you need. So why don't you phase it? And we'd costed it out, actually. It's an extra, it was an extra million rand per phase if we'd split it into three, but you could easily do that. So I said, no, I'm not sure we should do it all at once. That's why I'm asking you. I just need a little bit of... He said, this, this is a big amount. In this climate and what's happening, he says, I, I think I would probably phase it, but that's without any prayer. But whatever God tells you to do, I'm behind you 100%. <sighs> okay, well, that wasn't exactly what I was hoping for. I'm back to walking, talking, Father, what, and trying to figure out ways of fundraising and this and that. And I just felt this still small voice the one evening where God, I just felt him say to me, don't let money be the deciding factor. Do you believe all three things are for City Hill's future in what I've showed you? Yes, Lord. Then don't let money be the deciding factor. If you think all three phases, go for all three phases. Our whole eldership team was unanimous. We did decide, though, that we wouldn't, start, we wouldn't sign a building contract till we had five million rand in hand. So that was our safeguard. January of 2020, the final Sunday of the month, we launched this project to the church. Video, blah, blah, blah. we got all these ideas. We're going in this big building project. Ask God what he wants you to give. 10 million, da, da, da. Six weeks later, full lockdown, COVID hits. So we decide put the whole, I mean, the whole thing's on pause. We're not even meeting in person. Our, our church building ended up getting used by these two NGOs that we've got for major aid distribution. In the first three months of COVID, we distributed 270 tons worth of aid, physical aid. So the needs had grown, the output had grown, but this project was on, on hold. By September 2020, we realized that supernaturally there's a bit of money sitting in the church account one of the NGOs has got an unusual amount of money and people have been giving and we add up all the money that's been given in and these other two little pots, there's 7.6 million rand during COVID. We didn't have a chance to take up one offering. We didn't re-envision it. We just occasionally, because there was a little bit of money, kept saying, thank you, if you're giving, thank you, thank you, thank you. And it just felt like it was supernatural. It was... We've done other much smaller projects that have been much harder work. So we decide we're going to sign a building contract in January 2021. We're not meeting in person, but the builders arrive. They start building this 10 million rand facility. Throughout last year, we had just a few months of meeting in person. The rest, we were online. But every afternoon, I can go onto the building side and say, we're not seeing the people, but we can see God's still at work here. We know. By April, 10.4 million rand has come in. It was completely paid for before we finished building in October. Absolute, uh, the reason I'm excited is because it was so supernatural that there's, I, I feel like there's not a whole lot of credit we can take. It was just God did something. The name of our project was Above and Beyond. God did something above and beyond. Final idea, and then we'll take a little break and come to questions and answers, is 
The final bit of learning, I could type like this, rump steak versus poiki pot. Rump steak versus poiki pot. First year of leading the team, I was working so hard, my brain felt like it was in fifth gear 24-7, I was struggling to sleep. And one Saturday morning, I felt it was like I had a work pile this big and I was just busy. I was so overwhelmed. And I said, God, I don't even know, am I doing the right thing? I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I feel like I'm drowning in this leadership role. And I just felt the Holy Spirit drop this idea in me. There's some ideas that are rump steak ideas and others that are poiki pot. Now, my dad loved his braai and rump steak has to be cooked in a certain time frame and eaten immediately. A poiki pot, on the other hand, you still need good meat, but that needs a long time to cook. And so I opened up a Word document on, on my computer and I just called it Rumpsteak versus Poiki Pot and I listed all the ideas that were in my brain that were down there. And there was about 30 or 40 things that I felt we need, I needed to work on in our church, just needed some leadership energy. And then I said, well, these are the top three or four things that I feel are Rumpsteak. So I moved them to the top of the list and I just labeled everything else Poiki Pot. Oh, I felt such relief, just it was all listed. And I felt the divine guidance that you don't have to do everything at once. And I started working on the rump steak things. And a few months went by and I opened that document again and I realized about a third of the poiki pot ideas had started. We'd done work on them, but by the way, they hadn't concluded. And there were other things on the poiki pot that needed three or four years before they were ready to be eaten. And so this is something that by nature, I wonder if I've, I'm quite task oriented, so if I think of something, I want to action it and do it. But that nearly killed me. And so this for me was a supernatural, it was like a life raft thrown into a leadership um, ocean of the father saying to me, don't need to try and do everything all at once. Pick the rump steak things, let me guide you on that. And then there's some ideas that are pointy, but they're good ideas. One day they'll come about. Just doesn't have to be all this month. A lot of other things we could say on the journey, it's been so much more exhilarating than I think we would have guessed. Also so much more challenging than we would have guessed up front. But there's still a church. We still love each other, we're alive, we're more than that, we're well. And God's done a lot in the church and we have a lot of dreams for what he's still going to do through our local church. Thanks for joining us today. Remember to go to ncmi.net for more resources.